building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. And now, here's today's show. So Gene Getz, this is one of those uh, conversations, every one of my conversations with you is precious and amazing and it's an honor. And I, I can't wait to get to get to promote this and have other people spy on our conversation because uh, you're one of those giants in the faith who uh, you're one of those men I can go to when I have a tough question uh, about, you know, I read through scripture and, and now I don't even have to call you anymore because of your excellent Bible and some of the stuff you're putting out with QR codes and videos where you're there lecturing. It's pretty amazing. And you're going to get into that in a second. But what we want to start before we start talking about the measure of a man and masculinity is spend 15, 20 minutes talking about your COVID journey. Because in this podcast, we haven't talked about it at all. I had it pretty bad, or I thought I did uh, nowhere near like you had it. And so um, telling everybody up front now who's listening, we're going to have the conversation talking about your journey to a lesser extent, my journey and what we did to uh, to get better. And people can take it for what it's worth. We're obviously not medical doctors, um, but uh, I think we have some experience that we can share. So let's talk about you being in the hospital for eight months, eight <laughs> months. My goodness. And man, we were we were here praying for you. We had Waterstone. We had Promise Keepers. We had the Promise Keepers board on our knees before the Lord praying for you. And it sounded like, frankly, from what you've told me, that that we saw those prayers answered in a huge way. Yeah, oh, absolutely, Ken. It's um, my family. I think it was about the third week, second or third week that I was in the hospital. And the doctors put out the word that I wasn't going to make it. At least that was their opinion. And so my family uh, literally uh, gathered around. My two daughters from Colorado Springs flew in, to my granddaughters, to uh, be with me in the hospital and to say goodbye. I don't remember very much of that. They said I was talking about doing something in Europe. <laughs> I don't know what I was Probably talking. skiing, knowing you. Yeah, well, not exactly, but... Uh, the Lord had other plans, and um, shortly thereafter, I, I turned around. I was about four hours away from a ventilator, and the doctor said if I'd gone on that ventilator, I probably wouldn't have made it, definitely. If I had, I probably would have been affected mentally. That was part of the diagnosis as well. But uh, the Lord had other plans, and... Uh, but it involved eight months in the hospital and in care centers. And uh, I've been out now for about five months. Uh, I got home and uh, I began working from home. And uh, I've been making progress very slow. There are a couple of deals that went with it that uh, the doctors had trouble figuring out. One was uh, that my, uh, my vocal cords were affected. And... Uh, I wasn't able to to swallow. In fact, I'm still on a, I've still got a tube right here that I can eat with if I need to, but I'm, thank God I'm back to three meals a day. I, I never realized how wonderful mashed potatoes and gravy tasted. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true yeah, Texan. And then right now, uh, Elaine and I go out for breakfast every morning and it's wonderful. 
And it's just, it's great for her too, because uh, she's been my great caretaker, but to be able to go out to eat and um, so that, that's one thing I thank God for that I can enjoy food again. And my taste is back. You know, there are some people that haven't had it nearly as bad as I did and they, they've lost their taste and they haven't got it back yet. Um, but the, the other thing was that I had to learn to walk again. And that's been a real puzzle to the, to the doctors. They think it's some kind of bizarre neuropathy. It affects me particularly from my hips to my knees. And it's something I didn't have before. And uh, and little by little, I, I think I'm making improvement there. I, I'm not sure. You know, the uh, neuropathy people don't give you much hope for uh, recovering from neuropathy. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, I can sit here and I'm back doing videos again right here in the studio. Um, I can't stand up and do them, but I can sit down and do them because from my hips up, I'm, I'm feeling great and, uh, I'm thanking God for that. So it's been quite a journey and, uh, learned a lot. Now put this into perspective is so people who don't know who you are, I mean, and I'm, you know, in the intro, we said something, but you're a very well-known Bible teacher, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary back in the heyday in the late sixties and the early seventies. Um, written some unbelievable books, uh, have a great study Bible, but you're 89 years old. And when, when you and I met, it was on a ski trip That's to right. Beaver Creek, Colorado. I mean, you skied all the way into your late 80s or mid 80s. Oh, yeah. And uh, and for you to now not be able to walk, um, it's it was a big a loss. deal. It was a serious loss. Because you're a strong, I mean, I remember when you told me your age, you know, when we met, I'm like, I can't, there's no way that you're that old. Yeah, and I was feeling great back then. I um, and to lose all that, uh, it's loss. And uh, you know, I I've learned a lot through it. I'm not surprised at the depression. Some of the depression I've gone through because, gracious, I've taught this stuff. You know, on how to handle it. And uh, I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for my family. I'm gracious, my daughters and my son and. Um, the support they were to me and, and, um, you know, I could talk to them about my depression. I could sit at the kitchen table and they were gathered around and I'd, I'd cry, you know, and they'd sit there and, and say, dad, you, you got to share your feelings and that's okay. And they just, they just really ministered to me and, uh, and it was, was incredible. So, I learned a lot about my emotions, and I still go through periodic bouts of it. I've just learned to um, to look at the things that God has, has still given me, and there's still the opportunities. I mean, the fact I'm still here. I mean, the fact I can sit here in the studio and, and talk to you. And uh, I couldn't get up and walk away from this table. I can get over here in my power chair, by the way, and I can go all over the place. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, it's it, God. God's been really good, and um, I've learned a lot about prayer. I mean, uh, why my prayer life with Elaine has has deepened, and boy, have I come to appreciate her. Oh man, I mean, she sits beside the bed and every night, and and we pray together like we've never prayed before. And those are great times. Those are just fabulous times of prayer and 
encouragement and um and she's been such an encouragement to, to me so i've learned a lot about prayer i've learned a lot about just trusting god um you know i i don't know whether i'll ever walk again ken uh, god's never promised me that i'll walk again i don't know whether this could be my thorn in the flesh that where God is saying, Jane, my grace is sufficient for you. And I don't mind how many times you ask me. Uh, I'm not going to let you walk again. Um, I'm not going to heal you. But at the same time, I don't know. So I keep asking. <laughs> and I say, to Lord, I'd love to walk again. And I tell people, pray for me that I can walk again. Mm -hmm. And I believe that God could do it. I mean, God can do absolutely anything, you know. I have no problem with that. It's just that I don't know. And uh, I, I, want, want people, I just want his will. I don't want people to miss what you just said, because it may have some people immediately grabbed onto what I'm about to say. And some people might have gone over their head. You're 89 years old. You're you're been a pastor forever. One of the deep thinking theologians. And you just said you've learned a lot more about prayer. You've learned a lot more about trusting God. And you appreciate your wife more now at 89 than you ever had before. Those are the lessons that came through the suffering you just went through. That's, that's remarkable. Well, they, they are lessons. And I guess the way you just expressed it, I never really quite thought of it as lessons. Um, but they are. They are lessons. And, and they're opportunities for growth, Ken, becoming more and more like Christ. And... Boy, uh, I can't say enough about my family, um, my two daughters and and my son and their mates, and they've just been so gracious. And uh, and my grandchildren, the way they've ministered to me, and uh, I've never realized how fortunate I am <laughs> with my family. And we're not a perfect family, you know. But boy, when it came to realizing that I might pass off the scene, to see them come to see me every day almost and, uh, and say, Dad, we're praying for you and we love you and there are lots of people praying for you and and just have them there. Um, it was one of the greatest blessings I've ever experienced. Surrounded by all that warmth and, and love, but also suffering. Um, did you ever wish you were you died? Or did you ever say, God, I'm sick and tired of this. Just take me away. I've had those feelings. I've, I've had some thoughts go through my mind. Lord, why didn't you take me? Uh, why'd you leave me here? But I, I get over that pretty quickly when I realize that God left me here for a reason. And by the way, that's, that's what gives me courage, Ken, is that, that I see purpose now that uh, I should have died. Uh, statistically, you know, um, you know, Dr. Weinberg, remember? We were at his house. Unbelievable. You know, yeah. and he was on with Shannon Breen regularly on Fox News talking about COVID and... and uh, brilliant, brilliant man. Yeah, and he gets... He was it, dead like in 24 hours. I know. I mean, we didn't, even, we, we didn't even hear he had COVID. We just heard he was dead from COVID and it, it happened so fast. Yeah, and so statistically, that's the point I'm making... I shouldn't be here. And when I think about that, I think, okay, Lord, you left me here for a reason. And, and of course, when I see some of the things that God's doing 
you know, through the Life Essentials Study Bible and now the Men's Study Bible, uh, literally around the world, I, I realized that, and it's very humbling, that God would lead me here to to continue to do what I was doing. I mean, that's that's a very humbling experience, but it's very encouraging. I mean, that that's what gives me hope. And uh, seeing purpose in suffering is one of the most significant lessons, I think, that we can all learn. Because, um, you know, that's what kept, that's what kept uh, Joseph going, you know, when he was going through all that pain with his brothers and being sold into Egypt and then falsely accused of immorality and then going to prison. And, you know, and then when his brothers come at the end, he says, and they're afraid that he's going to get even because their daddy is gone. He said, hey, guys. <laughs> You meant it to me for evil. God meant it to me for good. And when we see purpose in suffering, that gives us inner strength. That, that's a general principle in life is when you see, uh, when you see meaning in, in what's bad, it can give you inner strength. And there are secular people that have discovered that. It's a biblical principle. It's a spiritual principle, but especially for believers that we can see purpose and meaning. And even though we don't understand, very few of us have had a Job experience, a real Job experience when he didn't, it took him a long time to see purpose and meaning. In fact, I don't think he saw much purpose and meaning until God restored him. You know, when his wife said, you know, curse God and die. And he said, woman, though he slay me, I'll trust him. And that's, I haven't even been close to that. Not even this, you know, this close, you know. Thank God he gave us wives that could carry us through, not uh, not abandon us in the suffering. Yeah, and that's that's another great blessing, you know. I saw him think about that, Ken, when Elaine has been so uh, supportive and so helpful. And, uh, and by the way, there are times when she's burst into tears with her own frustration and anxieties and, I've been able to put my arms around her and and uh, and weep with her and and uh, and say, "Honey, you know what you're feeling is normal." And I've had the strength to be able to say that, you know, because she's needed that as well. And I remember one night my daughter came over and was, we were sitting in the living room chatting, and and she just walked in on us. Actually, that's the way it happened. And Elaine and I were sitting there with our arms around each other, just boohooing, mm. just holding each other and and crying. And she, my daughter just sat there and supported us because it was therapeutic to be able to do that. You know, we weren't feeling sorry for ourselves. We were just sad. And uh, so I've had a lot of experiences. I never had experiences like that in my life. You're a pretty masculine guy from a different generation, and uh, bragging about crying doesn't uh, come naturally to us. That's right. And not for me. I've cried more in the last, uh, well, eight months plus five, six. I've cried more in this period of time than I did in my whole life. Is that right? Yeah. And it's and it's been therapeutic. I mean, it's, um, you know, I've been sitting around the kitchen table with my family and and burst into tears just chatting and talking with them. And they're just so supportive of me. And Dad, we understand. You need to feel that way. You're okay. That's the kind of tears it was. You know, when I had COVID, and I understand the depression, it, for me, it was 
not spiritual. It was physical. It was like my brain just wouldn't work and it wouldn't function. And I, I'd sort of, I couldn't really read or process thoughts. Uh, it was a weird feeling, but I, I really struggled with the Lord through that of, I don't understand. I mean, I get suffering, but this is pointless. Why am I sick? You know, I've, I've given you all, I've, I've abandoned my life to you and here I am just so miserable. And for what reason? And, and the Lord didn't respond to me in, in that moment, but, but I did get the truth revealed to me that number one, I have always been extremely insensitive to people who suffer from depression because I, I'd never suffered from it. And it was sort of, you know, get over it, you know? Um, secondly, um, I realized by having COVID, what I did was research it deeply and realize that, um, despite what we're hearing from the press, if you've had COVID, you're immune to COVID. So you, you can't get it again. And in fact, there's that doctor down there where you are, Peter Gallagher, I think is his name, who's been saying that there's not a single documented case of anybody getting COVID, getting over it and getting it again, not one in the whole world. They've had some people who have had COVID, but they think they never really truly got over it, but extremely rare. So because of the amount of elderly people I'm with and whatnot, having had COVID, I don't have to worry about spreading it to them. Um, and then number three was seeing that God uses all suffering. Cause for me, I got, you know, as Hebrew says, Jesus learned obedience to his father through suffering, but I didn't ever see it as pointless suffering. Like for me, it was persecution. It was, you know, getting thrown in jail for witnessing, but sick, really sick. Um, so I, I really had to do some theological hoops when my brain would work again. And so when you and I talked after that, I said, you know, I was asking God, I don't get it. Why, why would you let this happen? And then you said, oh, I don't think that way, <laughs> that you never had gone through those thoughts. And I thought that was so fascinating and interesting how you and I responded so differently. I kind of whined like a little child at God. And, and I was sick for, I mean, physically sick for about 10 days, but the whole COVID process for me was over a month of the exhaustion and all that. You were unable to swallow for three months. I mean, what you went through versus what I went through were vastly different. Uh, and yet you never really questioned God. You had your own struggles, but that wasn't one of them. And I guess I, I'm bringing that up to say to people, it's okay in our point position of faith and our relationship with the Father to react in, in the way and in, in, in who we are. I had to learn some things and I did learn those things. And I will never be as insensitive to people suffering from depression as I had been in the past because I learned, I literally was not able to, to handle not being depressed. My brain wouldn't work and I would just stare at the wall, unable to think it just like, I don't, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be alive. And I even said to God, look, if I have to go to the hospital, kill me. I, I don't, I don't want to go have to keep going through this. So it was a, a very much a life learning lesson. And then I come up. Uh, you know, and I had been praying for you long before I ever had COVID and then through the COVID and then come, come out and we talk and I'm like, wow, to see how you responded versus how I did different personalities, different maturity levels in Christ. I'm not sure that I would define that as different maturity levels. I think we all have to learn certain things, Ken, in our lives. And I've need, I've needed to learn certain things, you know, um, in my life. And I think God God does design specific curricula, if we could use that word, mm. for us. Yeah, yeah. That uh, he has purposes that he wants to achieve. I don't want to generalize too much on that because 
there are situations I can't explain. And if you tried to explain that to somebody that God is teaching you this or teaching you that, we could get into a realm of insensitivity, you know, like, and there's, there's misunderstanding on that. For example, like one person said to another person, you know, have you learned to thank God yet for this pain? You know, that's about as insensitive as you can get, <laughs> you know, and, and they misinterpret to be thankful in all things. You know, I think that we can be thankful in all things that God hasn't forsaken us. But to thank God that he's hit us with this, that's that's another situation. I'm not sure I'm in a position to say, Lord, I just thank you for giving me this horrible COVID experience. Um, what I'm thankful for is that he hasn't forsaken me. He's, made, he's given me a new appreciation of my family, a new appreciation of prayer, a new appreciation of humility. Um, a new appreciation for my wife. Those are those are things I'm thankful for having gone through that. Yes, somebody asked me, what are you thankful for? I'll tell you. But I'm not particularly thankful that I got the disease. <laughs> <laughs> there is a difference, isn't there? There's some honesty, baby, because I wasn't thankful either, man. <laughs> hey, would you tell us the story about your nurse? Because it is one of the things you are thankful for and the way he taught you the power of prayer was through your nurse or your doctor? I forget who. The woman who talked to you about the power of prayers that she was seeing. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, my it's my main doctor, you know. Uh, and by the way, I've seen real spiritual growth in her life, too. Have you? Really spiritual growth through this whole experience. And, and she just, you know, uh, she happens to be a twin, by the way. And her twin sister has been a great blessing in my life because she's walked beside me for about 15 years in helping me with the Life Essential Study Bible. She happens to be a very brilliant young woman herself, took early retirement from TI because of some health issues and then was restored and, and gave full time to me. For 15 years working on the Life Essentials. Study Let me Bible. set this up so people get it because there's a okay. text and you can, you say TI and you think people know. But so this woman was an executive for Texas Instruments back, you know, in the day when they were ruling the calculator world and all that stuff. Right. right. She gives up her career through some things, but volunteers for you for 15 years. 15 years. Full time. And then completely by coincidence, if I can say it that way. Her twin sister ends up being your doctor when you're in the hospital. That's right. And this twin that worked with me said, Gene, I'm committed to your ministry the rest of my life. Whatever I can do to help you. And she's working with me on other projects as well. If I had to pay her what she's worth, and I paid her nothing, it's amazing. You can calculate it out. But uh, she said, I'm, I'll, I'll commit to you the rest of my life. Well. I went to her sister, who's my doctor, and I, I just was kind of joking, but I said, you know, your sister said she's committed to me the rest of my life, and she knew, the doctor knew how much she had committed to working with me on the Bible, and uh, I said, uh, sort of, not tongue-in-cheek, but very easy, I said, would you commit to the rest of your life 
as a doctor to, to help me live and, and have good health. And I had no idea I was going to have COVID. And she said, I'm in. You can count on me. Well, for those eight months, there were very few days she didn't see me. She came to the hospital when I was in the hospital almost every day to check in on me as her commitment to me. And I was just very privileged to have that. So um, anyway, you asked me a question. I don't know if I'm answering it or not. Well, you had said to me that she had said that how much her faith was growing because she knew the only reason you were alive That's right. had to have been because of prayer. That's right. Because she put the word out to my family that I probably wasn't going to make it. And she was there that day when my family gathered around me. And she, she saw the results of, of answered prayer, the people praying. And after I came through that, she put out a written statement that uh, this was God. This was answered prayer. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan. Utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. I'm talking to Dr. Gene Getz, really part of the, the famous, if you're, in, if you're in evangelical fundamental circles, the famous staff of DTS back in the, in the day, when, uh, you know, back when Led Zeppelin and the Beatles were big, you were teaching at DTS with some legends. And you really wrote the first major, that I'm aware of, the first major man book, masculinity book, The Measure of a Man. And, um, you know, there've been some other books that have come out, but yours was really the original book written by a man who, um, not only a man's man, uh, an awesome skier, all that stuff. Um, but a, a, a complete theologian. And so it has a unique message to it because you're a man who knows scripture extremely well and you, you've come out and re-released it. And if you wouldn't mind showing us the book and the barcodes, because I think this is very original and it also kind of leads into your study Bible as well. I want to ask you a few questions about that. Okay. Well, basically, would you believe it's nearly 50 years old? Is that right? Yeah, nearly 50 and wow, never gone out of print. And I often say the reason it hasn't gone out of print is I borrowed the outline from the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and you know where he got it? Directly from the Lord. In fact, I say when we get to heaven, he'll get the rewards and I'll get penalized for plagiarism. But uh, <laughs> I do think the outline I used is common property because it's Scripture. 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. And the motivation for it was when I started a church and I wanted to develop the men of the church and invited the guys to join me and about 25 men showed up and I 
I began to um, think in terms of, okay, what are we going to study? And I thought of these qualities in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, which are sometimes are misinterpreted as just qualities of a spiritual leader. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, if you want to be mature, here's what it looks like. And if you want to be a leader, you should be mature. But this is maturity qualities for every one of us as men. So we begin that study. And I just folded into the group. I led the first group study. And uh, then I had other guys lead. And I began to take notes and um, and uh, just journal. And uh, Bill Gregg was in town. And he was with uh, Gospel Light at that time. And he said, Gene, what, what's happening in this new church? And I said, well, Bill, here's what's happening uh, right now. I'm in the study with these guys. And I opened my notebook and said, I'm making these notes. And he looked at it for about 30 seconds. And he said, Gene, I want this as a book. Would you do it as a book? And he had his acquisition editor right next to him. And he said, Dave, do you have a contract? He said, give well, Gene a contract. <laughs> yeah. He, had, he handed me a contract and he said, would you sign it? And I said, well, Bill, I'll sure pray about it. Well, the end result was the measure of a man. And I, I had no idea that it would be in print for 50 years. And in the final uh, edit that I did on it, I did the 42 videos that are incorporated in it. I have a QR code at the beginning of every chapter. I have a QR code at the end of every chapter. At the beginning of the chapter, I just talk to guys and say, look, as you read this chapter, here's what to look for. I want to motivate them. And then at the end of the chapter, I talk to a group of guys and I say, look, here's some ideas for discussing what you just read. That's awesome. and, and And that's, it's a built-in curriculum, really, with the QR codes. And would you believe that's given it even newer life because... And I haven't studied this statistically, but I think I'm right. God's using it more now than when it first came out. No, it's needed more now than when it first came out. Can you believe that, though, after 50 years? And God's took it around the world, many different languages. So that's a humbling experience to realize what God's doing with it and continues to do with it. And I meet guys, and I, you know, I haven't been traveling that much, <laughs> hardly any since COVID, but I was traveling, and I'd meet guys from coast to coast, and they'd come up and say, Gene, when I was in college, and these are guys that are your age. When I was in college, I read the first edition of Measure Man, that little brown one that came out, changed my life. And that, that happened on a regular basis, and uh, it was just very encouraging, very encouraging. You know, I would say, too, um, for people listening, those kinds of comments have really kept me going. There are times when sometimes a criticism really starts to get to you, the, the criticalness, the the weakness, the cowardice, the persecution that you see when you're being a Christian leader. And I can't just tell you, I mean, you, I'm sure you feel the same way. Men have come up to me or they write me letters and stuff and say, man, your book changed my life. Or that podcast you had really hit home. I had the editor uh, on on my book, Rise of the Sermon Kings, come to me and say he'd had a, a vicious fight with his not the editor, but one of the publishing team, a vicious fight with his wife that day and came to work and was handed my book to start to work on and read my chapter on marriage. And he said it completely transformed his life. Those kinds of things, oh, you, yeah. you may think, ah, oh, that guy doesn't need to hear from me. I'm telling you, man, you, you can never get too much encouragement when you're in our 
position from men or women who have been affected by uh, the positive impact we've put out. Cause it, you really, you really throw yourself out there and I'm telling you, the haters have no problem telling you what they think. I mean, the amount of people I've had come up to me and want to argue about theology or whatever cowardice garbage excuse they have for not doing anything with sitting in their armchair. <laughs> it's, it's really yeah. helpful to have. Yeah, know. it really is. And you know, something just went through my mind. I hadn't thought about, I have gotten more letters and emails about the measure of a man in the last 15 months than any time that I've written it. And what just hit me is I needed that during this period of time. Thank you, Lord. You know, because the, almost every week now I'm, I'm getting an email on how the measure of man is helping somebody. And that never happened before. I got a lot of feedback, but not on this consistent of a basis. And I, I just think God knew I needed it right now. So thank you, Lord. I hadn't thought about it. So let's right talk now. about that. We, you know, we've got about 10 minutes left in this, in this podcast, and we're going to do another one. When you wrote this book, it, which is kind of crazy. I mean, every once in a while, it strikes me how strong you are for your age, because I realized that this book's been on for 50 years, and you were 40 when you wrote it. That's right. just crazy. Yeah, that's right. But you wrote it in a, at a time when, at, at the time you wrote this book, we were more worried about macho men than effeminate men, right? I mean, you, you, it was the age of, and you watch movies from those days, you know, Death Wish and, you know, the mechanic and the... And, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We were not throwing out effeminate pictures of men in Hollywood. In fact, it was the opposite. It was men with no friends who killed everybody and walked over their bodies on the way out to grabbing the girl. Boy, have things changed. And you never so, cry. You never cry. Of mm. course you never cry. No man would no. cry. So you took this from the eternal truths of Scripture via the Apostle Paul. In what way does that change your, the message of your book now versus 50 years ago? Well, in some respects, it's not impacted it at all because it's super cultural. In other words, that's what I knew you were going to say. Yeah, anywhere eternal in, truths. Yeah, and anywhere in the world that you go, to the heart of Africa, to the heart of India, to heart of China, I don't care where you go. These qualities are a reflection of Jesus Christ, and that's why, by the way, it's never gone out of print because those qualities are super cultural and. Uh, now, how we apply them in certain ways will vary from culture to culture. And there are certain needs in culture where certain qualities apply, such as the way a man treats a woman. I mean, you can go to certain parts of the world where women are still under the, your feet, you know. I mean, the way they're treated, hopefully we're beyond that in our own culture. But there's a need there. And... And how it's applied, there's still a need for those qualities. So I guess I'm answering that question with the fact that they're needed now, but application, there's unique application. Yeah, let me just say where I'm going with this thought is that the books of Andrew Murray are all still in print. The Measure of a Man is still in print. Uh, the books of Dwight Moody are still in print. Bondage of the Will by Luther is still in print because these are eternal scriptural truths. And all these best-selling, not all these, but most of these best-selling books today that are influenced and, and swayed by culture will not still be in print in 50 years. You know, um, 
Francis Chan's probably will still be in print because his is eternal scriptural truths. We can see the excellence of a book. When I was first writing my first book, Victors and Victims, I was talking to the publisher about, gee, you know, I only read books that are old. And I, and I thought, why am I, am I intellectually arrogant? Like what, why do I do that? And I realized, well, because the books that are old, first of all, they couldn't write them on a computer. They had to write them on a typewriter print publishing was expensive. So only excellent stuff got published back in the day. Right. But also the ones that have survived are the ones that are excellent. So I love to read Andrew Murray and, and George Mueller and, and Oswald Chambers and all those guys. And so I would just say to people who are who are hearing this right now, who maybe haven't heard of A Measure of a Man, it's the kind of book you want to grab. It's it's already in the author still healthy as can be, thank God. Um, but it's become one of those classics that's not stuck in a culture because you literally writ, wrote it in the middle of the hippie age. Right. It's still mm -hmm. totally relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Because the outline came to us through Paul who got it through the Holy Spirit. Well, this has been really delightful. We're going to sign off with this one. And then the ne next week, we're going to have a show that I really can't wait to get into with you. Is I'm going to ask you a bunch of really tough questions, doctrinal theological questions, because uh, I think there's such a lack of real clear teaching. And I want to just hear what you have to say about things like eternal security, about whether we should be seeking our what our gifts are in Scripture, um, some of these pop things that have popped up. And I want to talk to a guy who is really a legend of, of biblical truth. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to that, but, uh, for, for those who are listening to now a measure of a man and also your study Bible, which also has those barcodes and also has videos of you teaching, which is invaluable. Cause when you get to tough passages, you could just go over that barcode and see you teaching on that passage. It's phenomenal. And there've been times when I wanted to call you and say, Hey, Gene, how did the, how could the Bible say that God hated Esau? What does that mean? Hmm. And I don't have to when I'm able to look at some of these barcodes. Yeah, what did I say? I don't remember. <laughs> In answer to that, <laughs> we're going to brush up on there, that. There are a few that I have to go. Next week. There are a few I have to go back and teach myself because I don't remember what I said. <laughs> I have people do that too. They'll ask me about something in my uh, book. I'm like, I wrote that. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for the time, man. Oh, hey, you're welcome. It's been a, a joy. Thanks for listening to On the Edge podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app.
That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.